Hello, and welcome to Middle Church Online. I'm Reverend Natalie. We are so glad that you've chosen to worship with us. Thank you for coming. Um, it is kind of a gloomy day out here in Cohasset, but I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. We're down in my heart to stay. <laughs> Did anybody else grow up singing that song or just me? Um, whether it is a gloomy day where you are or a sunny day, whether you hear the birds chirping or cars honking, we have gathered here together to worship. So let's take a deep centering breath. And let us worship God. Dr. Masaru Yamoto was a water researcher who studied water crystals. He found that if you said nice things to water, the crystals were beautiful. But if you said unkind things to the water, eh, not so much. You can see that in the pictures here. Now others have taken this and done the same kind of experiments with plants. For example, IKEA did a study on bullying, 
where a plant was bullied with unkind words and another wasn't for 30 days. Now, which of these two do you think was the plant that got bullied? The one on the left or the one on the right? That's right, the one on the left, the one that's wilted. Now, some people don't think these studies are true or very scientific, but I think that they show us a really important message in that the words that we speak about others matter, and we've talked about that, but not just that, but the words we speak over ourselves matter too. Friends, it is so important for us to say kind words to ourselves, and more than that, to believe those kind things about ourselves, right? Because God loves us so much. God says that we are loved. God says that we are important. God says that they know us really well. God says that they want to be our friend. And God says that we are very, very good. And God doesn't want us to be mean to ourselves, okay? God wants us to treat us the way that God does, like a loving and kind friend. Now we can imagine the words that we say a little bit like water, right? And we can either water ourselves with mean things or with nice things. And we can imagine ourselves a little bit like plants in that regard, right? That we grow when we say kind words about ourselves and to ourselves and we wilt or we shrink when we say mean or unkind things about ourselves. Now friends, what are some words that make you feel really good about yourself, that describe you. Are you kind or considerate? Are you really good at art or sports? Are you really good at history? Are you really good at English? Are you a really good sharer? Do you, are you really kind to animals? Do you make a really yummy sandwich? Friends, say some of these words out loud right now. And if you can type, why don't you go ahead and type them in the chat. I love all of these words. And I want to encourage you to keep saying them. In fact, say them every single day to yourself, even if it feels a little bit silly to talk to yourself because God is always listening and not just God. Do you know who else is always listening? That's right. You're always listening. Your heart's always listening. Your mind's always in listening and your body's always listening. And who knows, maybe somebody around you is listening to the way that you talk about yourself. So friends, it's so important for us to continue to say positive and kind and encouraging things to us so that just like plants, we can grow nice and tall and confident. We are marching in the light of God. We are marching in the light of God. her pronouns and I'm an executive minister at Middle Church. And this is Middle Rising, 
where we remind one another of our call to rise to God's justice and love and talk about all the ways we do that. We are rising in community a whole lot this summer. First, if you still haven't officially joined us, won't you go to middlechurch.org slash join right now and do that? Because as soon as you do, you can register for our next new member orientation, which happens this Wednesday with Reverend Natalie. And secondly, to the over 400 of you who have joined us over the last two years, you're invited to join me on Thursday night virtually for a mixer. This time is designed to deepen our relationships with one another, to meet new people and to have fun. And then next Sunday, July 18th, from two to four, we'll be at Tompkins Square Park here in New York City. That's right, not behind a screen. We are gathering in person at Tompkins next Sunday and I hope to see you there. While all these activities are designed for our beautiful intergenerational community, we are holding two events this summer in August, specifically for our youth and children. We're doing freedom schools and we hope to see you there. Email Elise for more information. Another way we rise friends is through spiritual renewal and the ongoing need we have to recharge and reconnect with the divine. In that spirit, let's enter now into a time of prayer. For today's prayer, I'd like to walk us through a guided mindfulness moment. So first, I want you to call to mind someone with whom you are close. Could be a friend, a partner, a roommate, a family member. Bring that person's name front of your mind and now pray for them. May you know peace. Say it. May you be free from constant struggle. May you be healthy. May you know love. And now think of someone with whom you're in a disagreement with, a conflict, an unresolved tension. Bring that person center of mind and pray May you know peace. May you be free from constant struggle. May you be healthy. May you know love. And now think of all the people in our whole global community and all of the creatures that make up our beautiful world those people and creatures whom you know and those whom you don't. Bring our global interconnected community to mind and pray, may you know peace. May you be free from constant struggle. May you be healthy. May you know love. And finally, think of yourself. Bring your spirit, your being, your name to the front of your mind and pray. May I know peace. May I be free from constant struggle. May I be healthy. May I know love.
and continuing in this spirit of prayer. Let's pray together now the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Pray it in whatever language or tradition you are comfortable with. I will be guiding us in an inclusive version that's printed in your bulletin. Let's pray together now. Ever loving and holy God, how will it be your name? Your reign come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the reign and the power and the glory forever. Amen. workshops that we've done on Black Lives Matter and white privilege and all that stuff. I've been in the social groups like New Adventures. Financial distress and I was don't even talk about it to others because I figured that's for me to deal with but never had a church of like an actual church that actually cared. I am so grateful for Middle and my choir family. I know that I have been lifted in prayer a million times and I know that that is what has gotten me through the worst of my days. So middle has been a constant for me. It has been a very present help in a time of need. And I'm so grateful to my middle community for welcoming and embracing me. And even though we don't have a building, I feel really hopeful about the community that we continue to be for each other because I see all the ways in which we are looking out for each other. Really love uh, connecting with the young people um, and all and in general, all of the groups that meet together in this time uh, virtually. And on Sunday is also inspirational and, and gives me some comfort that someday we'll be able, you know, we will be together again and be able to hug again and do all the things that we did uh, before the pandemic. God has smiled on me. God has set me free. Oh, God has smiled on me. God's been Smile.
said, I've never left your side. I've been right here all along, so you can dry your eyes. Keep seeking me like I knew you would, praising me like you know you could. That's when I realized God is good. God is good. They've been good to church family. It's so good to be with you on this Sunday morning. I don't know about where you might be gathered, but I know where I am. It is beautiful today. The sun is shining. I pray that the sun is shining on you wherever you find yourself this morning. And in case the sun isn't shining directly on you, I need you to know that nonetheless, the sun is still shining. And so let that be a symbol of hope for you, for those who are needing and eager to feel God's presence, to feel warmth, to feel life, to feel love, and to feel light. That regardless of what might be happening around us, the sun is still shining. God is still reigning. God is still with us. And so as we prepare ourselves to continue in our time of worship, know that God is with us in this, in this worship time right now this morning. And so there is a verse of scripture that God has given me to want to read from today. And you can find this passage. You see the scripture on the bottom of your screen. It's going to come from the Hebrew scriptures this morning from 2 Samuel, starting in the sixth chapter. And we're going to read together verses 1 through 12. Again, 2 Samuel, if you if you if you don't know your Bible, just know 2 Samuel's right after 1 Samuel. So find 1 Samuel, you find 2 Samuel, and it's right before Kings. But 2 Samuel, the sixth chapter, starting on the first verse through the 12th verse. And I'm going to be reading this morning from the New Revised Standard Version. And so the New Revised Standard Version reads and listen to or listen for the word of God in these verses this morning. It says, David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. 
David and all the people with him set out and went from Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts who is enthroned on the cherubim. They carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and his brother, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart, and on the new cart was the ark of God. Uzzah's brother went in front of the ark, and David and all the house of Israel were dancing before the Lord with all their might, with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. Verse 6. Yet when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it. For the oxen shook it. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. And God struck him there because he reached out his hand to the ark. And Uzzah died there beside the ark of God. David was angry because the Lord had burst forth with an outburst upon Uzzah. So that so that that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said to himself, how can the ark of the Lord come into my care? So David was unwilling to take the ark of the Lord into his care in the city of David. And instead, David took the ark to the house of Obed-Edom, the, Git the Gittite, a Philistine. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Verse 12. It was told to King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. Hear this verse again from verse six. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah and God struck him there because he reached out his hand to the ark and he died there beside the ark. Y'all, this is a challenging and a complicated reading this morning. But I want to preach on the subject. I'm not going to let you mishandle me. I'm not going to let you mishandle me. But before we do, let us take just a moment for a word of prayer. God, we give you thanks for this Sunday morning where you once again bring us to your house of worship, where we are able to gather together in your name, knowing you are here in the midst and through the gift of technology, able to gather from all over the world on this Sunday morning. Those in New York, those in 
Phoenix, Arizona, those in Paris, those in Australia. God, we thank you that through your gifts, through your blessings, we might all still be able to be together and be and to touch one another in spirit gathered in your name. And so, God, as we worship together, help us to prepare our hearts and spirits to hear a word from you. Help us to be centered. Help us to be edified. And for those who are in need of a loving touch, God, set your spirit on us this morning. For those in need of a loving embrace, God, wrap your spirit around us this morning. And Lord, help us to learn of you this morning in ways we have yet to learn of you, to experience you in ways we have yet to experience you. Make yourself at home with us on this day and be with me as I attempt to proclaim your word to your people. All these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The subject again, church, this morning is I'm not going to let you mishandle me. This is an interesting subject to preach on because this is a complicated scripture to draw inspiration from. Church, it is no overstatement to say that the verses that we have heard read this morning are complicated. David, we are told, has just completed a military campaign against his age old nemesis, the Philistines. And after completing that military campaign, he is on his way back to Jerusalem. When he gets the idea, he gets the inspiration to take his army and go to Abinadab's house to reclaim the Ark of the Lord. After reclaiming the Ark, David and all 30,000 of his army are said to be engaged in a festive and triumphant celebration full of dancing, music, and festivity to mark the occasion. However, this joyous occasion takes a sudden and sullen turn when the oxen carrying the Ark of the Lord stumble. This is a complicated text because the Bible then goes on to say that when the Ark stumbles, to keep the ark of the Lord from falling. Uzzah, son of Abinadab, who was tasked with caring for the ark, Uzzah, whose name means strength, Uzzah, who only desired to use his strength for good to prevent harm from befalling the ark, Uzzah, who did not mean to do any wrong, Uzzah, who only was trying to do what he perceived was right, Uzzah, the Bible says, reached out his hand to the ark. And because he reached out his hand and touched the ark, the Bible says that God's anger blazed against him. And God struck Uzzah in his tracks. And Uzzah was killed, left to lay beside the ark. Church, it is no overstatement to say that this is a complicated text and portion of scripture. It is complicated first because God's character does not line up with what we know God's character to be. God in the text is vindictive. 
God in the text is seemingly reckless. God in the text appears vengeful. God whose nature we believe to be loving, just, merciful, and forgiving, here is neither loving, just, merciful, or forgiving. The God in this text is the God whom many of us may have stopped going to church because of. The God whom many of us don't does not feel jive with our practice or belief in faith. The God whom many of us believe is representative of everything that is wrong with religion. Bible scholars themselves struggle to reconcile the God in this text. And as I was preparing to preach this morning, I noticed that in our lectionary that we follow for our liturgical calendar, even our lectionary skips over these verses skips over these verses in the narrative to instead emphasize David's worship and dancing before the Lord. And has that to serve as our main point of focus, the main thing we are to get out from this text. Yet the complexity in the text is drawn from an oral tradition that has carried these stories forward as sacred. Stories that have been passed down for generation to generation because their significance in the community holds a lot of importance. Stories we have inherited because they are memorable. Stories we have inherited because there is a communal understanding of something lying between the lines of the text that must be wrestled with in order to tease out the divine behind the text. Like the story of Jacob and his wrestling with God on the shores of the river Jabbok. The, the ancient Jewish people understood that in these complicated, in these complex texts, there was something that must be wrestled with. Something that must be wrestled with to access the full blessings that are inherent in the text. Therefore, when we wrestle with these verses, when we run to the text rather than from the text, we find that there is still something useful. There is still something valuable. There is still something that can bless us for our life and our living and how it is we practice our faith. I know this might not feel comfortable to many of us in church today, but my challenge, my charge this morning is that even in complicated, complex texts such as these, there is still something within these verses with which to be a blessing to us. Still something in this verse, in these verses that has something of value in order to help us understand how to better live and walk our lives of faith. And as I was wrestling and as I was interrogating and as I was running to this text, what revealed itself to me was a message about how it is God is calling us, how God is empowering us to set boundaries. Mm. A message about how we set boundaries, how we set 
holy boundaries and how it is that we set or we reset the standard for how we are handled by those in our lives. God shows us in this text that boundaries are important for a life of faith. Boundaries are important and that despite the protests, the feelings and the frustrations of those around us, we are in fact allowed, we are in fact empowered to set boundaries, to set standards on how we are handled, that we are permitted to expect to be handled with respect, that we are encouraged to expect that we are handled with love, that we are empowered because we are created in the image and likeness of God to expect that we are handled with care. That whether it's in our relationships with our spouse, our relationships with our co-workers, our relationships with our bosses, our parents, and dare I even say our children, that we are empowered, that it is okay to set standards and to set boundaries on how we are treated, on how we are handled. The scripture this morning teaches us that it is in fact okay to tell those around us that I am not going to let you handle me just any old kind of way. And it is okay for us to set a boundary on how people treat us, on how people talk to us, on how people engage with us, and how people approach us. If I may, I've already talked to you at one time that the gospel is hip-hop, and so if you'll let me, sometimes it's okay that we take a lesson from the gospel according to Birdman. We got to take a lesson from the gospel of Birdman and we have to tell folks sometimes that you're going to have to put some respect on our name. And I'm not going to tell it to you no more. Because despite whatever you thought this relationship was, despite whatever it is you thought I was, I have got to prioritize my own sacredness. I've got to prioritize my own Holiness, I've got to prioritize my own God likeness and it does not matter who you are, but as the subject says this morning, I'm not gonna let you mishandle me. Boundaries are a complicated issue and I'm not going to sugarcoat that this is a complicated text. But this text is complicated. Why? Because boundaries are complicated. Setting holy and healthy boundaries are complicated for all of us because in one way or another, we don't oftentimes want to be perceived as mean or hateful people. We struggle with setting boundaries because we don't want to hurt people's feelings or to make people upset. We struggle because we don't want to lose relationships or we fear missing out on opportunities. We struggle with setting boundaries because we don't want our new established standards to offend anybody or inadvertently hurt the people we say we care about. Whether it's at home or whether it's on the job, we oftentimes struggle with setting boundaries because we believe our obligations or maybe even our salaries. Mm, I'm preaching to somebody this morning. 
We struggle with setting boundaries because we believe they require us to be nimble. Our obligations require us to be nimble. Our salaries require us to be nimble to the point where we sacrifice our own health. We sacrifice our own well-being. We sacrifice our own sense of self-care, our own sense of dignity, and our own sense of respect. We struggle with boundaries because we struggle with how best to communicate our needs. We struggle with how best to communicate our desires. And what happens is that the more we struggle, the more we push to the side our need for self-care and our needs to reset our expectations so that then over time, frustration with our own struggles begins to build and to build and to build to the point that it boils over and boils over into an outburst that inadvertently finds unsuspecting people like Uzzah caught in the middle. God shows us in the text that it is important for us to set boundaries as an aspect of living a life of faith. And it is important that we prioritize these boundaries because if we do not, we might in fact cause more harm in the long run, not just to ourselves, but to others. So how is it in the text that God shows us or 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 is it or rather why is it that God shows us that it's important for us to set boundaries? Well, I'm glad you asked. I got three quick things and I'm going to sit on down. The first is because it the, the reason why it is important for us to prioritize setting holy and healthy boundaries first is because it requires us to assert our own holiness and sacredness to others as well as ourselves. Mm. Let me break this down for you. We have to go back to the text. And when we go to the text, we see that Uzzah, although his death and his killing was tragic and jarring and, 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 and confusing to our sensibilities, when we go back to the text, we realize that Uzzah was in fact not killed because of some haphazard action by God. Rather, the outburst against Uzzah, whether it be right or wrong, the outburst against Uzzah was the, out, the outgrowth. The outburst was the outgrowth of much mishandling that preceded his touching of the ark when the oxen stumbled. Let me break it down to you like this. David's dancing and celebration with his 30,000 men, his 30,000 troops was not a worship service in the ways this scripture is often perceived. Mm. David's dancing in the first six verses of our text was not a worship service as we like to often teach this text. Rather, David's dancing and celebration with his 30,000 men, his 30,000 troops, was not a worship service, but was in fact a military parade. Mm. David's dancing was a military parade to celebrate military conquest, to celebrate military imperialism. Therefore, the spirit of the occasion, while they were moving the ark, was not a spirit of worship. Rather, it was a spirit of revelry. 
Let me say it like this. The spirit of the occasion around moving the ark of the Lord was a spirit of revelry rather than a spirit of reverence. Now, let me just say that there is nothing wrong with revelry. As a church, I know we love to party and there is nothing wrong with a good party. There's something wrong with a bad party, but there's nothing wrong with a good party. There is nothing wrong with listening to good music and having a good time. There is nothing wrong with dancing in the sanctuary. There is nothing wrong with being your full, beautiful, and artistic self before the Lord. In fact, when we go to our gospels, we see that Jesus's very first miracle, him turning water into wine, wasn't just about trying to show that he was the son of God. Rather, it was about facilitating in other people's merriment. It was about trying to keep the party going. Jesus was a partier, was a person who loved revelry. So there is nothing wrong with revelry. However, our revelry should not come at the expense of our reverence, meaning our, our revelry should not come at the expense of how we handle holy things. Our worship and celebration shouldn't come at the expense of misgendering queer and trans bodies who make their home in our community. Mm. Sharing a good time should never result in black and brown and Asian bodies being made to feel unwelcomed in our company. Having a laugh should never be made at the expense of marginalized people's experiences. The phrase, we're just having fun, should never be used to justify harm and to leave people in our wake. Our revelry should never come at the expense of our reverence and how we handle holy things because make no mistake, beloved, you are a holy thing. No matter where it is you come from, no matter who it is you love, no matter how it is you identify, no matter where it is you live, you have the divine fingerprint fashion upon you. And it is the divine in whose image and likeness you are made is what makes you a holy thing. It is what makes you sacred. It is what makes you deserving of being handled with respect. And when we fully recognize and we fully accept our identity as holy, we can no longer accept other people's attempts at mishandling us. When we accept our identity as holy, we can no longer tolerate when our humanity is dismissed and our God-likeness is denied. When we accept our identity as holy, we can no longer accept existing in an environment that does not honor who we are, that does not respect what we say we need, that does not respect or treat us with respect that does not respect our experiences, our stories, or the breadth of realities that make us who we are. Therefore, setting holy and healthy boundaries is important because it asserts our own holiness to ourselves and others. It is important, church, it is important that we set holy and healthy boundaries. And the second reason it's important is because when we go back to the text, we see that it is important for us to establish who and what does and does not have access to you. Mm, can I say that again? Boundaries are important to help us establish who and what does and does not have access to you. 
Because when we go back to the text, we see that there are numerous things that are out of order in the process of them moving the ark from Abinadab's house to Jerusalem. The first thing that's out of order is because the ark of the Lord was never supposed to be carried on an ox cart. The ark of the Lord was never supposed to be carried on an ox cart, on an ox cart because that's what the Philistines did. And because God instructed in the law that if the ark was to be moved, it was to be placed on poles and carried on the shoulders of the Levites and the priests. Second, so first, the, the, the ark was never supposed to be carried on an ox cart. And second, the regulations concerning the ark were out of order because Uzzah was never supposed to be traveling with the ark to begin with. Can I teach Bible for just a second? See, it says in the text that Uzzah and his other brother were carrying the ark. But what we don't see is that there is, in fact, a third brother. That, that Uzzah has an elder brother, and that brother's name is Eliezer. And we read about Eliezer in 1 Samuel, and Eliezer is the one from the house of Abinadab who was consecrated to be a priest to keep the ark. Uzzah was not consecrated to be a priest. His other brother was. Therefore, Uzzah was never supposed to be with the ark, was never supposed to be there in the first place. Uzzah was never supposed to touch the ark because Uzzah was not consecrated or consented to handle the ark. Mm. Are y'all hearing me? Therefore, Uzzah was struck by God for touching the ark, not because Uzzah meant to cause harm, not because Uzzah was trying to be malicious, but because he had reached out and touched that which he was not consecrated or consented to touch. Mm, I know I might be losing some of y'all with this, so let me just break it down like this. Let me explain it like this. Many of us know people who, like Uzzah, are in the middle of some business that they don't have any business in. People who are always trying to give their two cents on something when you never ask them to have two cents to begin with. People who try to define for you what does or does not constitute harmful, triggering, or racist behavior. Straight people who try to define what it is or is not to be homophobic. Men who think they have the right to legislate how women govern, govern their own bodies, white folks who think they can just reach out anytime they want and touch a black woman's hair. Mm. People often make the mistake of thinking that they have an implicit right to get in the middle of something, to handle or control something that they were not consecrated or consented to get in the middle of or to handle or to control. Am I preaching this morning? There are folks who think they have an implicit right to handle things they were never consecrated or consented to handle in the first place. And there was a word for behavior like this. You know what that word is? Entitlement. There's another word for this. You know what that is? Manifest destiny. Manifest de destiny that believes it has a divine right to go where it wants, do what it wants, and seize what it wants. There's another word for this. You know what that is? Colonialism. Mm. 
that says that it can create boundaries and rules of its own without any regard to the boundaries and rules that are already set for it. This is what we call gerrymandered voting districts. There's another word called redlined neighborhoods. There's another word called sham legislation to restrict the right to vote. There's another word called state legislatures trying to prohibit the teaching of critical race theory in public schools in order to not let white children feel guilty for the nation's truths. There's another word for this called white privilege. There's another word for this called militarism. There's another word for this called out of order. And when things are out of order, when folks attempt to handle that which they are not consecrated to handle, when they try to touch that which they are not consecrated to touch, when our boundaries are crossed, then we are the ones who get to decide how to reset the standard. We are the ones who get to decide what the proper protocols are going to be when allowing folks to have access to us. Now, this doesn't mean that we have to kill them, but it may mean we have to kill off some relationships. It may mean we have to kill off someone's access to us. It may mean we end up striking at someone's ego. We may end up striking at someone's feelings. We may have to strike at our state houses or our state legislatures, but we are the ones who get to decide the who, the what, the when, the why, and the how of the way which we are handled. Boundaries are important because we get to decide what we will accept, how we will be engaged, and who will have access to us. And this is my last point. I'm going to sit on down. I'm sorry I've been long today, church. Spirit has just been grabbing hold of me. The third thing, the third reason why it's important for us to have boundaries, holy and healthy boundaries, is because it resets the standard for how we expect to be treated. Can I say that again? Boundaries help us to reset the standard for how we expect to be treated. Because I don't know if anybody's ever noticed this, but most of the time, the people who are most offended by our boundaries are the ones who are custom to us not having any in the first place. Mm. The folks who get most offended about boundaries are the ones who are accustomed to us not having any in the first place, none that they are required or obligated to honor. And when we reset the standard of how we expect to be treated, those type of folks always want to get mad. They want to get resentful. And often they may even attempt to disregard you or they might attempt to reject you. We go back to the text one final time. We see this is exactly what happened with David. This is exactly David's actions in the text when God struck Uzzah because David got angry. David got afraid. Now, let me be clear. That's understandable. It's understandable why David did it, but David did it. David got angry. David got afraid. David was outraged. David was offended. And he was so offended to the point that he decided to give the ark to Obed-Edom, who was a Philistine. Remember, he had just defeated the Philistines a chapter before. He decided to give the ark of God to a Philistine, someone who was supposed to be his enemy, rather than to keep the ark of God for himself. David was so offended that he decided to give his prized possession to someone who was supposed to be his enemy. 
However, when David received word that the house of Obed-Edom had prospered with the ark, when David received word that things were going good for Obed-Edom with the ark, David goes back to retrieve the ark, the Bible says, with rejoicing. David goes back to retrieve the ark with rejoicing. The sadness was gone. The anger was gone. The frustration was gone. The outrage was gone. The offense was gone. And David went back to retrieve the ark with rejoicing. And David went back with rejoicing. Why? Because David realized that having the ark of God in his presence was a better blessing than ever being without it. Mm. I don't know who needs to hear this word on today. But there are some folks in church who struggle with setting boundaries for themselves, who struggle with resetting expectations of how they are to be handled. We have people who struggle with, with realizing their value, with realizing their, 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 their promise. We have folks who, who, who struggle with all of these things that we're talking about today. But we, I need you to hear from me today that we must realize that those who value you, those who value their relationship with you, those who value their access to you, they will not be intimidated by our boundaries. Those who want to keep you in their lives, those who, who, who want to keep you a part of who they are, are not going to be dissuaded by the standards that we set for ourselves. And I need you to understand, beloved, that although David was outraged and offended by God's actions at first, in just three months time, David got over it. And when David got over it, he went back and inquired of the law about how is the right and proper way to handle the ark of God. Now, God never compromised God's boundaries. Instead, David had to go back and adjust himself so to not offend, mistreat, or mishandle this holy thing. And so, beloved, I'm going to leave you with this. If you get nothing else from my sermon today, just get this, that you are a holy thing. You deserve to be treated with love and respect. You deserve to be handled with care and consideration. And it is God's lesson to us that boundaries are important to a life of faith. And that we are allowed, we are empowered to set the standard on how people treat us. We are made in the image and likeness of God. Therefore, we can set boundaries for ourselves in the name of God. And so I'm going to leave you with this, church. I hope that this sermon treated you good. I hope that you heard the word of God speaking to you today. And so I hope that you also go in peace, knowing that you are worthy of love, care, and respect. I want you to go in peace knowing that you are exactly who you know yourself to be. I pray that you go in peace knowing not only who you are, but who you are, and knowing that God will rescue you from all evil and bring you safely into God's heavenly kingdom. And it's to God be the glory forever and ever. And church, let us say together, amen.
friends, I'm talking to you from on the road on my sabbatical sponsored by the Lilly Endowment to study black folks religion down here in the South with John. We've had some beautiful conversations and we can't wait to have more. But the reason I'm able to do this, the time is given to me by my consistory, but the resources are given to me by Lilly Endowment. Resources matter, friends. And in this time, as the world opens up from COVID-19, as we continue to battle systemic racism and oppression, as we keep trying to make the world look like the reign of God, our mission and our vision at Middle Church requires time and resources. The consistory and I just passed a budget. We passed it in the context of COVID, in the context of the other pandemic, white supremacy, and in the context of some business things that didn't go as well at Collegiate as we hoped. We passed that budget in the context of a $400,000 cut in resources. What did we do? We trimmed our sales. We pulled in tight. We unfortunately had to make some cuts in staff hours. Uh, we redeployed some folks to make sure that we could take care of your resources in a way that makes sense. So with this cut, we passed a budget that still allows us to make sure that we work for the value of black lives, that allows us to give some funds to folks who are in trouble, that continues to do trainings and conferences, because that's what we do, that continues to march for justice. You'll be so proud of this budget that you're gonna see in just a moment on the screen. What do we need from you? We need some time and some resources. We need you to step in some of the gaps and do some volunteer work. Help us start our Freedom Lab with a Freedom School for Children. Help us to do some uh, Sunday school teaching. Help us to teach classes. Help us to usher both in the digital places and when we open up again in person. Stay tuned at the website for ways to stay connected to March for Justice. And we need your resources, friends. The Collegiate Church has been systemically cutting the resources that they give each of the congregations over the past 10 years. Right now, Middle does about 52% of our budget, but in five years, we'll need to do 100% of our budget. So now I'm asking you to think about the resources you can give to your congregation, to your ministry, no matter where you live, no matter how you live, we need your help and your support. John and I commit to Middle Church like the like the, like it, like our lives depend on it because we think it does. And we give 10% of our resources all the time, every time. 10% might be a stretch for you, but what is the thing you can budget to make sure we're able to be who we be in the world? Please pray about that. Talk to Devin or me or Amanda or Daryl about that and know that your partnership matters in this place. I love you and I'll be sending you more notes from the road, but this note, this note is about being in the movement for love and justice. If you're a member, make sure you donate. If you haven't joined, make sure you join. If you are a person who participates in our work but belong to another church, feel free to make a donation at middlechurch.org donate. All of the work we do depends on time and resources and your love and support. Thanks.
So we're going to sing a little song for you, Middle, but we're going to have you join in as well so we don't just be spectators all the time. It's training ad, uh, activists so that you're always active and affirming. Wash over you today, middle. God made me. You were made perfect just the way you were. Fully intended to be. God made me. God made me. God made me. God made me who I am. Let that be your prayer and your intention and your mantra.
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I just want to thank you, Lord. God, for the gifts of your community and your soon coming reign, we give you thanks. Amen. Right on, no man can I hinder thee. Right on, King Jesus, no man can I hinder thee. Right on, King Jesus, right on, no man can I hinder thee. No man can I hinder thee. No man can I hinder thee. No morning fair.